Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Welcome back. Today we're going to be having another interview with Lewis Martins. Before we get to that, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. I got an email from Charlie. Charlie's been a longtime listener, and he wanted to find the name or the URL of the episode where we talked about an app that had been developed uh, for a barometer, a barometer alarm. A change in barometric pressure could send an alarm to your iPhone, which is very good for uh, micro weather forecasting. And I related a story in that particular podcast. Anyway, I, I found the episode and I sent an email back to Charlie. I said, Charlie, you could have found this just by doing a search at the website. And then he wrote me back and he said, Franz, there's no search bar at the website. Well, I know there's a way to put one up there, so I'll be working on one uh, in the near future. After my episode on route planning, I got an email from a listener, Bjorn. Bjorn wrote me and said, I'm a frequent listener to the show. Thanks for all the effort you put into it. I was just listening to your route planning episode. And if I do a little bit of math, I figured that you are in Milos at the end of July, beginning of August. I'm a sailor myself and have sailed frequently in Greek waters. Last year, we chartered a boat in Greece for a four-week period of time with my then one-year-old son, and this proved to be a little too stressful for my better half. So this year, in order to preserve our marriage and harmony, we decided to go windsurfing on Milos. The current planning is such that we are in Milos at the same time you are there. I'd love to meet you in person and shake your hand. Thank you for a great podcast and invite you and your crew for a beer as compensation for not being a Patreon. I don't want to be too intrusive on your holiday, but listening to your podcast, I guess you'd tell it to me straight if it does not suit you. Take care, Bjorn. Bjorn, as I wrote you back, I'm probably doing a different route. As I told you on that podcast, I'm going to have three possible routes. One is just going around uh, Greek islands, and that was the route that I talked about in the podcast. Another route that I set up last week, uh, we'll be going over to Dubrovnik, and then there's one future route that I need to plan, which would take me to Sicily. More than likely, I'm going to be going to Dubrovnik, so that means we'll be sailing from Turkey through Greece over to Italy, then from Italy over to Montenegro, and then from Montenegro up to Dubrovnik, where I'll winter my boat. I've got a bid from the boatyard. It seems fairly reasonable. And the nice thing about being in Dubrovnik is I can hop down to Montenegro and start the <laughs> VAT clock ticking over again. It's always one of my concerns. 
I think we're going to be bringing the boat back through the Mediterranean in the next couple of years and then sailing it across the Atlantic back to the Caribbean. My plan is probably in about three years I'll be sailing the boat back to the Caribbean, which will be the first time it's been back in uh, North American waters uh, since 1997. And the reason we're going to be doing that is, as my wife and I plan on retiring at some point in time, we plan on spending the summers up at our summer home and winters sailing where it's nice and warm in the Caribbean. And sailing in the Mediterranean in the winter is miserable, so that's not uh, in the in the cards. If you want to sign up for the email list, you get eight of the 16 lessons for the Sail Learn to Sail Basic Keelboat Certification. And if you want to write me, with suggestions for future episodes, right at franz1 at medsailor.com. I like getting letters. If you have questions I can answer on the podcast, I'd be glad to answer the questions. I want to make an announcement about a service that I'm going to be offering those who think it might be useful to have a consultation if you're planning on sailing in Greece or Turkey. I've decided to offer one-half and one-hour consultations on helping you plan out where you might want to visit when you're visiting these countries and doing a bare boat charter. Now, this is going to be one-on-one or one-on-two. In other words, we can do it uh, as a conference call on Skype if you'd like. And it's going to be basically by you emailing me and saying you'd like to have a consultation, and we'll set up a schedule and do it. Now, there'll be a charge for it for a half-hour session. There'll be a $75 charge. And for a one-hour consultation, it'll be $125. Remember, I've sailed in these countries for (laughs) over 15 years. There are a few islands in Greece that I have not been to, but there's not very many inhabited islands in Greece that I haven't visited. And I'm always more than willing to say, hey, I don't know anything about this particular island, if it's one of the islands that I haven't been to. But over the last 15 years... 10, 15 years of sailing in Greece and Turkey, uh, I've hit most of them. So if that is of interest to you, uh, write me in, in the subject line, put in consultation, write me at franz1 at medsailor.com. All right, now let's get on to my interview with Lewis Martins in the continuing saga of fiberglassing. All right, I'm on Skype with Lewis Martins in Portugal, Lewis, as I recall, last episode we talked about fillers and the different types of fillers and then the finishing process. What are we going to talk about this time? Uh, I think, hi friends, I think uh, we are going to talk about uh, vacuum bagging. Ah, okay, good. Yeah, because I think we covered the, the fairing process and then the finishing either with paint or gel coat. Yeah, and I think so we I came think to the con- that... I think we came to the conclusion on paints that uh, do all the prep yourself, but hire a professional to spray the paint. <laughs> yes, unless you really know how, how to do it. <laughs> unless you're a professional, in other words. <laughs> well, you don't have to be a professional. I'm not a professional, but I think I can, I can spray a really good finish. Ah, okay, but it takes <laughs> it. It's it takes practice. And if you're it, doing, it, it takes. Yeah. I actually, I was I was talking to someone today about that, about the the spraying, because that person said that he had a compressor, he had a spray gun, but he could never get good results. And I think you must have a, a very steady hand, and uh, 
uh, have a very good feeling in your fingers to control the trigger of the gun so that you 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 apply the right amount of paint for each situation like for instance if you are uh, painting a corner uh, where uh, an horizontal surface meets a vertical surface if you let go too much paint it will run so uh, it's it's a it's a it's a very steep learning curve yeah let's just say that yes that's right yeah all right i've never done any vacuum bagging so let's talk about the tools you need and what you might want to do some vacuum bagging with and then the techniques all right um first let me just say that the usually the 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 main purpose of vacuum bagging something is to uh, make something lighter and stronger, or uh, stronger uh, uh, the ratio of strength by weight, it's more favorable when you vacuum bag parts. Okay? The, yes, go on. Why, why, why would that be the case? Is it pulling out the air? Is it using less resin? What's it doing? It is using less resin. Do you remember when I said, just wet out the fibers, don't drown the fibers? And then I said something like the, the optimum ratio is 50% resin to 50% uh, fiber by weight. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you don't vacuum bag, uh, you always need to add more uh, resin, uh, usually, say, 70% resin to, by, to the, to the, by weight, okay. Okay, the ratio. Uh, and when you, when you vacuum bag uh, something, uh, a composite, uh, you are able to compress the fibers because the, the, the cloth, uh, fiberglass cloth or Kevlar or carbon fiber cloth, they will have a thickness when they are um, uh, when you buy them. Say, let's say for example, it's one millimeter thick. That's very thick, but okay, let's assume it's one millimeter thick. If you compress that with your fingertips, you are able to compress the 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 woven uh, pattern a little bit. And let's just say it goes from one millimeter to 0.8 millimeters thick. Uh, so if you if it's compressed, it will uh, be able to absorb less resin between the fibers. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so the, that's the that's the main idea to 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 have something that is lighter or that is uh, stronger. Uh, given the same weight, okay? Uh, and also some two other reasons. One, when you want to have a really, really good bond uh, to uh, another part, for instance, you are, you are repair, doing a repair on your boat and you, you lay out some glass, uh, for example, uh, I have a friend's boat that was uh, close uh, to a boat that caught fire. And the, the, my friend's boat 
like uh, five feet of the hole, uh, the glass is delaminating, mm. the fiberglass. Uh, so we will have to grind uh, a few millimeters of fiberglass until we reach good fiberglass, and we will have to lay new fiberglass uh, to make uh, the the total thickness of the hull. And if you are uh, uh, really worried about strength and really worried about the bonding of the new layers of glass onto the hull, maybe you could fiber uh, vacuum bag uh, the whole repair so that uh, it uh, is a better bond. Uh, but sometimes people do that uh, more like in uh, racing boats, I would say, uh, also where they are really worried about weight. All right. It's, I'm a little confused because I'm thinking of a, of a bag, and you're not going to bag a boat. So how would you uh, how would you uh, when, do something like that? In on? in the in this instance, you would have a single sheet of plastic. You would put uh, double sided tape around the repair, and glue this plastic to that double sided tape. Hmm, okay, and then. Uh, poke a hole in it, uh, put the hose, and suck the air out, and you get vacuum. Okay, all right. So it's not necessarily okay. bagging, but you're, I guess you are creating your own bag. But Yes. Okay, so let's... The bag doesn't have to be an enclosed bag on, on uh, uh, three sides and one side open where you stick some uh, uh, tape and close it. Yes. Uh, another reason to vacuum bag is that is when you want to um, have the fibers uh, go around very tight corners. Uh, you can't usually can't do that uh, if you don't press down the fibers. Uh, they always tend to lift. They don't want to make very sharp corner corners. But if you vacuum bag that, uh, the 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 press, the lack of pressure inside, uh, will uh, and the atmospheric pressure on the outside will apply enough strength, enough force, continuous force, that uh, the fibers will make any shape you want. Okay, so let's okay. Uh, let's t talk about a, a project you've done and the process that you went through. Okay. Uh, that what I've I've done I've started by doing um, uh, fiberglass sheet, uh, five millimeters thick, to make some um, uh, reinforcements for the through holes, where you where uh, where they go through the hole. I wanted to have a, a straight surface, and I bond I then cut a few circles uh, from the from this sheet and bonded it to the hull, drilled the hull, and then I, I had a perfectly flat surface on the inside, so the, the, the nut uh, uh, that holds the through hull in place had a very straight surface to, to compress against. Uh, to make something like this, uh, you, you do a laminate, of, uh, fiberglass laminate like you would uh, do any other fiberglass laminate but you do it 
on uh, a plate of uh, on a on a sheet of glass, so that you have a, a smooth surface. And you use glass because if you coat this glass with uh, wax, uh, then you are able to it will it will not stick to the glass, and you are able to remove it from the glass, and then you will have a fiberglass panel that is very straight. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So you put the glass on top of a table. You put you apply some uh, wax so that uh, uh, the resin will not stick to the glass, and then you start applying layers of fiberglass and putting more resin and applying more layers like you would do any other laminate, and then you put it inside uh, a bag. But first, let's let's go through the the. Um, the materials that you need. Okay. Okay. So the first thing that you need, you need a, a vacuum pump. Uh, it's a pump. It's a little bit like um, the pump in a in a compressor, but uh, instead of uh, pushing air, it is pulling air. Uh, but it's pulling air. It's able to pull very little uh, amount of air. Uh, but it is able to pull a uh, very strong vacuum. Uh, unlike, for example, a vacuum cleaner. A vacuum cleaner will be able to suck air, uh, lots of air, but is not able to pull a very strong vacuum. Okay. Uh, the other way around, the vacuum pump for vacuum bagging uh, is able to pull a very strong vacuum. Uh, very little air at a time, uh, unless you have a really large pump, but only guys building boats, uh, building the, ent the entire hull, uh, would have such large pumps. Uh, tr the trick for uh, small shop guys is to attach your shop vac uh, to the bag to suck most of the air, and then attach the vacuum pump to remove the remaining hair and uh, make the, the vacuum. Is that because okay. a, a vacuum is a high volume, low pressure, and then the vacuum pump is a high pressure, low volume pump? Yes, yes, along those lines, yes. Okay. Yes. If, you, if, you, if you see the specs, the amount of air, uh, the, the cubic feet of air per minute that uh, one of these vacuum bagging pumps moves is very little compared to uh, your shop vac, for instance. Now, how expensive are these pumps and how big a pump do you need for the uh, vacuum bagging pumps? Uh, for small shop guys, you can buy a pump for around between two and three hundred dollars. Okay. Uh, maybe cheaper if you go on the used market on eBay or something. Uh, you will you will only need a small pump. Uh, it's it's like a, an eighth of a horsepower or something, uh, it, or or even less. It, it, these are very um, uh, small pumps, and uh, they 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 are not very strong. Okay, they they have very very small motors inside uh, then you besides the vacuum uh, pump you will need a um, plastic bag 
I usually buy these plastic bags from my composite shop. Uh, the plastic is in a roll, so you can have a plastic bag basically uh, one meter wide by the length that you need. Uh, and if you need more, you, you'll just have to cut those plastics and make yourself a, a larger bag. So what, what widths of uh, bags do you get then? I guess it comes uh, in different widths then. I, I only get these in one meter wide. It's a, it's a sleeve, okay. one meter wide, uh, and uh, the length is whatever I, I want. Uh, it, it's in a big, big roll in the shop. Oh, okay. Uh, so no and, no wider than I mean do they make them wider than one meter is that sort of the widest that they make I guess they will do but the the shop I buy stuff doesn't sell anything other than these uh, one meter wide uh, by the length okay but if you, if you need a smaller bag you ju I just cut that uh, to the size that I want and then I will use um, double sided tape to to reform the bag let's just say that it's a it's a specific double sided tape for vacuum bagging it's very sticky uh, and it's a little bit uh, like um uh butyl tape it's quite uh, uh soft hmm. and a little bit thick yes Can quite you... quite uh, quite like butyl tape can you get it off the, uh, let's say you applied this to your hull. Is it difficult to get off once it goes down or does it come off pretty easily? No, it will, well, with a, with a scraper it will, and carefully it will come off. If, if something is left, if you, if you go lightly with a scraper, it will come off quite easily. Okay. Yes. So you need then, the, uh, you need the pump, you need, you need the, need the bags. bags, okay. You need this tape, this uh, special tape for vacuum bagging. I, I buy everything from my composites uh, supplier. Uh, you need a hose to connect your bag to your pump. Okay. And there are some special adapters that you uh, attach to your bag and attach the hose to your bag. But I usually go the cheap way, and I put some uh, adhesive tape around the the hose, and then put the hose inside the bag and squeeze the bag around that uh, double-sided tape so until nowhere is uh, allowed to go through. Uh, but you can get these special adapters, and what these do is you poke a hole in the bag, you put uh, the adapter as a is in two parts that thread together. Uh, you unthread the parts, you put one of the parts inside the bag before you close it. Uh, the, the nipple of this part goes through the bag and the, the other part threads onto this and it seals the bag. So it's more um, practical, I would say, but they are not cheap and, um, well, I've always uh, gone by without, so never saw the the need to have one. But if you do lots of vacuum bagging, maybe you you will want to have that. And if you do lots of vacuum bagging, maybe you will want to have uh, a vacuum gauge that you connect uh, usually to this uh, fitting, 
and it will measure how much vacuum are you drawing from the bag. If you really want to control stuff, the like say quality control. Okay, okay. Then for uh, the equipment that you need, this is it. Uh, then you will need some, I would say, supplies because it's stuff that you use once and you throw away. Okay. Uh, and here we can refer to my simple project of making a, a sheet of fiberglass. Uh, you put the you put the fiberglass uh, and the resin on top of this glass that's, that I mentioned uh, with some wax in between. Uh, usually this wax is called uh, it's it's generically called a release agent because it's something that uh, enables you to release. Uh, your part from the mold. In this case, the mold is just a, a sheet of glass. And uh, usually, if you go to a composite store, you ask them uh, uh, for a, uh, a release wax, and they they will know what you are talking about. Uh, you will you will do your laminate on top of this glass. And then you will have to apply a few things. The first one we talked about uh, in the first or in the second episode is pill ply. You apply some pill ply on top of your laminate. Okay? Then on top, so you, you will need pill ply. Uh, on top of that, you will apply a perforated plastic. I buy these in one meter wide by the length that I want. And it's just a sheet of plastic uh, that has tiny holes in it. And what these holes enable, these holes enable the resin to flow from your laminate to the next thing that you are going to put on top, and that is a breather cloth. The breather cloth is uh, quite similar to a cotton blanket, for instance. Uh, it's just something. It's just um, something that will absorb the excess of resin that you put in your laminate. So the the resin flows through the um, perforated plastic, uh, through the little holes in the perforated plastic, to this breather cloth. Now the the perforated ply. That's a peel ply you're talking about, right? No, 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 no. You put the peel ply and then the perforated plastic on oh, top. Oh, okay. Oh, so there's two things you. So there's actually three things you put on top of, of the fiberglass. Yeah, the laminate yes. before you uh, put the, before yes. you get you the bag. Then the peel ply. Then you put the uh, release uh, the breath, uh, the perforated plastic. Then you put the breather cloth. Okay. Okay. Uh, the reason for this is that the 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 pill ply will provide you a surface that has uh, enough key so that you can bond your your part to uh, something else. In this inst for in this case, I wanted to bond uh, to epoxy little discs of uh, fiberglass to the inside of my hull. So this one part of the, one side of the sheet of fiberglass that I made was very slick and very smooth, the part that was in contact with the glass. The other part had the texture created by the pill ply. 
so ready to bond to the hull. Okay, and then the reason for the perforated plastic is that it enables uh, resin, excess resin, to flow from the laminate to the breather cloth, but not too much. You don't want to put the breather cloth directly over the pill ply because it could absorb too much resin and suck resin out of your laminate, and in the end you would have... Uh, uh, less than 50% of resin in your laminate, okay. and it would be it would be uh, a very weak laminate. So I'm imagining this breather cloth is basically, uh, like you said, cotton. So it's got a lot of air in it. So it gives a, the vacuum pump something to suck on. So it's going to be drawing yes. it out through it's there. Also, and also enables the air inside the bag to flow. Uh, around and go into the pump because if you, for example if you put uh, if you don't put the breather cloth and you put the hose inside the bag and it starts pumping uh, the hair out of the bag it would cr it could create air pockets inside the bag okay but the breather cloth enable all the air pockets to flow and go through the pump do you have a problem with fiber, with epoxy or polyester resin sticking to the bag and, and making a mess that way? Uh, the 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 resins don't stick to the plastic of the of the bag. Okay. Because because uh, it's a very sleek plastic. Okay. Okay. It doesn't have any texture, so it doesn't bond. The, the plastic just peels off. If that happens. Uh, it just peels off. For sometimes, sometimes I, I, if I don't have a, if I don't have a piece of glass around, I will uh, put a piece of plastic, this same plastic, on top of a melamine uh, sheet, uh, and uh, it serves the same purpose. The, the plastic provides a surface, and the, pl the plastic doesn't stick to the to the to the laminate. All right. So you wanted to have flat surfaces inside your boat to mount your through hauls to. Is that what you're yes. saying? Okay. Yes. I'm going to tell you how I did it on my boat when I was building my boat, which was pretty easy. Uh, basically, I took a uh, a disc that I'd made out of plywood, which was going to be the backing plate for the uh, for the through haul, and uh, I put a piece of, uh, and of course, I had a quarter inch hole through it that w so I drilled drilled a hole through the hull where the through haul was going to go. It was a quarter inch hole, and then I uh, had a quarter inch hole at the center of this disc, and then I put a, a layer of wax paper around it, and uh, mm -hmm. and then I made up some. Uh, resin with some fiberglass in it and just uh, made a putty out of that and applied it to the bottom of it and then just bolted that down to the hull, let it set up, and then I just was able to pull it off. And then when I got to that point, I just mounted uh, with 5200 that, that disc of plywood and the through hull there, which was pretty simple to do. And it made a really nice, clean, flat surface because that's always the problem on a, on a yes. curved boat. You're not going to get a flat surface for anything. Yes, and the, the big nut that uh, that that uh, uh, holds the, the through hole in place needs to have a surface, a flat surface to 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 tighten against. Otherwise, it will be 
making uh, contact with the hull in just uh, a few uh, points, usually in the corners of the of the net, of the net, not uh, right uh, all around. Yeah, yeah. But that's how I solved it. Now I didn't do anything on the outside of the boat because that's just a threaded insert that goes into the through hull. I have these big bronze through hulls on my boat, but uh, the, the Blake's ones. Uh, I'm not sure what brand they are. It's been so long, but they're just big, heavy-duty bronze through hulls that you can take apart yeah. and and clean out. They're a, qu- a quarter turn on and off. Yeah, possibly Blake's or something similar. Yeah, they're they are very good. They're very good. Uh, I just wanted to have um, backing plates bonded to the hull and something that was fiberglass, okay. not plywood. Yeah, that's probably better. I'm I'm done with the rotten plywood and rotten stuff <laughs> inside the boat. <laughs> I'm even I'm even considering making the stanchions uh, for the lifelines uh, out of fiberglass. Huh. <laughs> now, have you done any uh, carbon fiber uh, vacuum bagging yet? Uh, no, not yet. I'm waiting to to do the chain plates, and when I do the chain plates, they they will be carbon fiber. Okay. So how are you going to do the chain plates? Let's walk through that technique. Okay. The chain plates have um, a closed cell foam core, uh, and uh, it's just a strip of uh, closed cell foam, uh, and um, so let's imagine two foot, two feet long by two inches wide by half an inch thick. Okay. Uh, on on uh, on one of the small ends, there is a fiberglass uh, cylinder, the same two inches long, and the internal diameter is the right diameter for the clavis pin that will hold the shroud so you're place. so you're going to have so these this, pre the, pre pre drill you're going to have a the holes already pre-done in them then you you have a i did a cylinder with fiberglass uh, i had a an aluminium tube mm-hmm. and I, I made that i used as a mold this aluminium tube was uh, half an inch in uh, diameter mm-hmm and around this tube, I rolled some uh, fiberglass already wetted with uh, epoxy resin, let it cure, and uh, removed the aluminium tube from the uh, from the laminate. Mm-hmm. I put some uh, release wax on the aluminium tube so that it would slide off. Uh, although, <laughs> even though it wasn't easy. Because, because uh, the, as the fiberglass cures, it uh, compresses a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, sh- it shrinks a little bit. So it shrunk around the tube. So it wasn't easy to remove. Uh, since then, I've uh, discovered another technique. And this technique is that you put uh, uh, a heater uh, close to this uh, tube... And the heater uh, elevates the temperature and makes the tube uh, expand, then, huh? expand a little right. bit. Yes. So you need to use a metal that has a higher high 
uh, expansion uh, ratio. Uh, and then when it cools off, the tube slides off much easier. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, I, have the, I had these tubes pre-made, and I bonded these tubes with epoxy, thickened epoxy to the end of uh, uh, the blank of uh, foam. And the, the reason for this, is, uh, uh, the fiberglass tube, is that the clevis pin that will go through and connect the turnbuckle to the, to the chain plate uh, is stainless steel. And the carbon fiber uh, conducts electricity, uh, unlike fiberglass, and could create galvanic corrosion uh, between carbon fiber and uh, stainless steel. So you want to isolate that, and the way to, to do that is to use a fiberglass tube. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of uh, carbon fiber as being a conductor, but it makes sense. Resistors and yeah. Uh, yeah. many semiconductors are, are made of uh, uh, carbon. Right. Right. Yes. Hmm. So then, uh, with this done... What you do next is that you cut strips of um, carbon fiber that are the same width as your chain plate, for in this example, two inches wide, and twice the length. And you uh, make them go from the bottom of the chain plate uh, to the top around this carbon, uh, this fiberglass tube, down again. And uh, forming like a, an inverted U, okay. and then you apply multiple layers, multiple layers of this carbon fiber around the the top of the chain plate, and then you put it in the vacuum bag, let it cure, and install it in the boat. Uh, and I can I can describe that process. Now, now how? Oh. Let, let, so the tube that you just for the clevis pin. The tube. Mm -hmm. How are you getting? Are you going to have to re-drill that, or how are you going to? You get... you will have to cut a slot through the carbon fiber and through the tube, so that uh, for in, uh, usually the the turnbuckles uh, you can get turnbuckles with the different um, uh, terminations. Uh, one of the terminations is, is a kind of a fork okay. and has two holes in it. So you need to cut two slots in, in your chain plate for these to fit. And the clevis pin goes through the tube and through the holes in the termination of this uh, turnbuckle. Okay. And it will hold it in, uh, in place, hmm. hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Now, take lots of... You haven't done this yet, but this is your plan. So you take lots of pictures I, when you're doing I, I've it. Only done, I've only done the, um, the blanks okay. and the uh, fiberglass tubes. And I, I bonded the fiberglass tubes to the blanks. And then I had to fare the, the fiberglass tubes to the blanks because uh, the, the thickness of the foam wasn't the same as the outer diameter of the tubes. So I fared the, that uh, so that the fibers have, do a smooth curve and don't have any sharp corners because that would weaken the, the, 
the whole chain plate and you don't want that uh, especially in that area around the the uh, the connection between the turnbuckle and the chain plate hmm. okay yeah. and the chain plate is done with uh the first layer is a biaxial layer uh, the first layer get, that goes on the on the blank on the foam blank. Uh, then uh, you put multiple layers of unidirectional uh, carbon fiber. So the strands of carbon fiber are all in the same direction, and that is going up, turning around the top, and going down again. You don't need strands going horizontal or diagonally in your chain plate all the forces are pull forces right yeah. so you only you only need strands of carbon fiber that are in that direction and for good measure you put one the first layer and the last layer uh, a bidirectional uh, biaxial uh, carbon fiber so that it strengthens the chain plate a little bit. But hmm. uh, most of the layers are unidirectional the, because the, the, the strength is always pulling the chain plate. Hmm. Okay. okay. And then you cook it. <laughs> you cook it in the vacuum bag and uh, you install it in the boat. Do you need to, uh, do you need to apply heat in the to the vacuum bag for for no, uh, okay no. I said cook it but uh, because because I've been to some companies that actually do heat up carbon fiber when they're uh, when yes they're doing that. it's it's known uh, well there there are two ways of doing it one way is to heat the whole thing so that it cures faster and maybe some companies do that because they want a quick turnaround. They don't want to wait for the next day to have a part cured uh, so that they can move on in, the, in their uh, process okay. of building stuff. Uh, so if you increase the temperature, it will cure faster. Yes, that is one thing. The other thing that you apply it sometimes is in a post-cure process. Uh, some... Uh, some parts where you require uh, additional strength, you actually cook them in a oven or in an autoclave uh, at, uh, say, uh, 40 degrees during uh, five hours, for example. And that will increase the strength of the component because the, the, the higher the temperature goes, uh, some epoxies uh, are um, made that way. They 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 go in in a higher temperature for a long for a, a few hours, and they they are able to become even stronger. And this is called the post cure because you you let it cure uh, at room temperature, and after it cures, remove it from vacuum bagging. Uh, stuff and you put the part in the in the oven. Third uh, thing that you sometimes do, I have never done it, but I, I read about it, is when you use pre-pregs. Pre-pregs are pre-impregnated uh, carbon fiber. So it's carbon fiber that comes pre-impregnated with uh, resin, epoxy resin, 
uh, and, but that the epoxy resin is formulated in such a way that it doesn't cure at room temperature, or at least it cures very, 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 very slowly. You usually store these in the in the fridge so that the temperature is lower and uh, to prevent it from uh, curing. And you can store them in the fridge for a few months. And then they, when they ship it to you, they say, well, as soon as you receive it, uh, store it in the freeze again, in the freezer, uh, sorry, in the freeze, the refrigerator, not uh, frozen, refrigerate, refrigerated. And you store it in the refrigerator and you have a few months to use it. And that epoxy resin pre-impregnated in the carbon fiber will only start to cure uh, once it is put in an environment that has a higher temperature, say 40, 50 Celsius degrees. Hmm. Okay, okay. Well, while you've been um, talking, I've done a little Google research, and I found a website. Uh, one area I noticed that they're using a lot of... Uh, a vacuum bagging is for uh, model airplanes, uh, for, mm-hmm. for building airplanes, model airplanes. And I'm looking at this one person's website, and he tried three different vacuum pumps, and he found that the best one was one that he found on eBay for uh, around $130, uh, which is basically a, um, a vacuum pump for evacuating refrigeration systems when oh you, when i thought well that that makes sense and you can do dual duty if you need to re- evacuate your uh, refrigerator on your boat which i've had to do several times on my boat then you've got another tool that's already uh, set up yeah. for doing yes, that some some of these pumps pumps are able to work with both air and liquids yeah. so they are able to move both air and liquids yes Yes, and it, it doesn't have to be, uh, for instance, the pump I have uh, isn't uh, a vacuum bagging specific pump. It's just a, a pump uh, that I got from an uh, industrial supplier, and that pump is able to move air around and draw a significant amount of vacuum. Yeah. That's interesting. So I went on to eBay and looked at them. They they don't seem to be much more expensive than a hundred bucks. You can buy them fairly inexpensively. Yes, yes, yeah. that's that's about the one I got. Yes, yes. Okay. But uh, if you go if you go and buy a proper vacuum bagging pump, it will cost you between two and three hundred dollars. Yeah, the one I looked at when we were, I was looking around was around six hundred dollars. <laughs> I thought, whoa, that's an expensive hobby. Well, that that <laughs> yeah, that one is a, is a little more more expensive. Maybe maybe. Because if you do very large parts, uh, you will have a very large bag. Yeah. And, and you need to suck the air out quickly. Otherwise, for instance, the, because uh, these pumps move very little air uh, per minute, uh, if you have a very big bag, uh, it may take like half an hour to reach vacuum. And by then, your epoxy is already kicking and start curing, and you want to uh, have vacuum before the epoxy starts curing. Otherwise, uh, you won't reach the the full effect that you are after. All right. So now once you've done the vacuum bagging, if it's a finished part, then you're going to have to go through the same system of uh, of finishing 
uh, it, let's say in the case yes. of the hull, you've got to go through the fairing and all the other yes. stuff yes. after that. Then. Yes, all the other pro- all the other process. Yes. All right. Yes. Another thing that I'm planning on doing is uh, some um, what are they called? Those uh, uh, vents that you mount on door aid boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the door aid. I, I, I'm not sure what they're called, but basically yeah. the boxes that they sit on. Yeah. Where you? No, got... no, no. I mean, yes. I mean, not the boxes, but the 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 scuppers. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I'm considering because the the cheap ones are made of uh, cheap plastic, sometimes PVC, mm-hmm. and they 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 break apart with the sun. They break apart easily, and they start to look ugly really quickly. And the good ones uh, are usually stainless steel, and they cost a small fortune. Like for, it's just a scupper to 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 suck to. To conduct some air from the outside of the boat to the inside, but I still want it to look good. But I'm not considering paying a few hundred dollars for a stainless steel one. So I'm considering making one using carbon fiber, uh, that will look very spiffy, and then uh, put some varnish on it, clear coat it, and uh, that will be it. Hmm. All right. Yes. Well- well, so if you put that, varnish make, if you put varnish yeah. on it, that's going to break down really fast in the sun, though, too. You need to use very good varnish. <laughs> <laughs> well, my 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 technique uh, is uh, usually to apply two coats of uh, epoxy resin over the part that I am uh, going to varnish, either. Uh, carbon fiber or uh, wood, I will do the same. So two coats of uh, clear epoxy resin. Uh, for instance, West System has several hardeners for their resins. Slow hardener, fast hardener, and extra slow. And a special coating hardener. And this hardener is more resistant to UV, and it doesn't turn yellow, uh, yellowish uh, when it catches sun, hmm. unlike the other uh, hardeners, where you if you if you let it under the sun for a few days or weeks, uh, it turns very yellow, and this one doesn't. It's it's the 207. So I apply two coats by brush uh, of uh, resin mixed with this 207 um, hardener. Uh, then I sand it flat, uh, and then I apply the varnish. Hmm, and okay. what this what this does, is especially wood, on wood, if the varnish breaks, uh, water will seep into the wood and will stain the wood. Uh, and the next time you are going to refinish it, you will have to sand down to bare wood. Uh, with this process... Uh, when you need to refinish the varnish, you just sand down until uh, you reach the epoxy resin. You never sand down to bare wood, or at least you hope so. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then you apply, instead of applying seven coats of varnish uh, to protect the wood, you just apply two coats of varnish, because uh, the epoxy goes on much thicker than the, than the varnish. 
so the epoxin makes up for like five coats of varnish, uh, the thickness, and really protects the wood. And then you apply the varnish on top of that after sanding it flat uh, and uh, removing all the, creating a key everywhere and removing all the gloss from the epoxy resin. And then you apply two coats of varnish, maybe three coats, and that's it. And because I like to apply varnish uh, with a spray gun, I can apply the two or three coats of varnish uh, in sequence, something that you can't do uh, when you are brushing, because if you try to brush a second coat and the first one is not dry, the brush will stick to it so and will make a mess. Uh, but if you spray it, uh, you spray the first coat, you wait a few minutes for the um, solvent to uh, evaporate, uh, to flash off, uh, and then you apply another coat, and then you apply another coat until they're happy. What kind of varnish are you using? I'm using a varnish from uh, International. Uh, it's a two-part polyurethane varnish. Okay, okay. It is a very uh, strong, very um, uh, scratch-resistant. Right. And it's very, very glossy, very nice. Uh, they don't have it in matte. So if you, if you like satins and matte varnish, uh, you are out of luck. I've never sprayed varnish. I've always done just the natural varnish, and I've never used a two-part varnish, so maybe that's the key from now on, a two-part varnish. Uh, the, the, um, the instructor, uh, my sailing instructor on his boat, he had a, um, is it called a, a crate on the bottom of the cockpit, on the cockpit floor? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, and it, the crate always looks beautiful. And people step on it. <laughs> it's not a, a grab rail that you just grab with, you, with your hands uh, that is beautifully varnished. It, this is for people to step on. And it's always looking good. And I asked him once, what varnish do you use? And he told me he uses this varnish. And it's a very, very strong varnish. Very scratch resistant. And uh, also very UV resistant. Uh, so uh, I've been using that, and I like it very much. Now, wouldn't that be really slippery, though? Uh, because because it has all the... The holes, uh, the, the little square the holes? holes yeah. the, yes. Uh, I don't I've never found it very slippery, no. Hmm. I once no. Uh, was with a friend, and we chartered a boat... And I was, I went down, and the, and the, the sole on the boat was that nice, beautiful, varnished Hollywood and teak uh, type floor. You, you've seen them, it's dark and light and dark and light wood. Uh -huh. And of course, it was varnished beautifully. And I stepped <laughs> on it and went right down on my butt. I mean, right on my back. It just was such a slippery floor. I thought, oh, that's dangerous. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know that historically, the strips of holy were uh, proud of the surface? I didn't know that, no. Yes, that's why they did the strips. It, it's not to, to be beautifully varnished and smooth. The strips of holy, the, the floors of the, 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 of the cabin soles uh, were uh, like uh, three quarters uh, uh, thick uh, planks of thick. And to provide more grip, they inlaid these holy strips 
but the holy strips were proud of the surface, like a sixteenth of an inch or hmm. something. To give yes. you a little more texture to to walk around yes. on that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Huh. Yes. Right. And then when they when they when they when they started making these beautiful yachts, they forgot about that and just made the, the surface smooth. And it, of course, it was a pain to to keep clean because you would have all the ridges and all the dirt getting uh, in those ridges uh, around the holy strips. <laughs> so it wasn't very nice to keep clean, but it it was like that. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else we need to cover on vacuum bagging? Uh, I think we, well, I think we covered uh, the principles. Uh, I think you need to be good at uh, a wet layup uh, before you attempt vacuum bagging, because only then you will fully understand uh, what you are doing. Okay. Uh, if you if you if you do a good wet layup uh, and you practice it uh, several times, you will understand that hey, I have more resin here than I should have. Uh, so next time you do vacuum bagging of the same thing, and you will see ah okay, the breather cloth got uh, a little bit of resin in it. Uh, that's why it's a uh, supplies and you throw it away because you can only use it once uh you 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 see you will see the amount of resin collected by this breather cloth and so some people have a, a kind of a small tank between the bag and the pump so that if any resin flows through the hose uh, it falls into this tank the 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 two hoses from the pump and from the bag uh, are connected to this tank and they don't touch each other and they are just on top of this tank. So uh, if any air flows through the first hose from the bag to this tank, it just drips on the bottom of the tank. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah, I was thinking about yes, the resin if, going if, up the hose. That would ruin yes, the, pump the resin goes up the hose. I pinch it with a, with a pair of pliers, <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll think how how will I solve that? Uh, but uh, <laughs> but if the if the if if nothing if the resin doesn't flow well, usually I put a little bit more of breather cloth around the the, the area where I have the hose to prevent. To prevent that, so and of course, you, because you did quite a few wet layups, you are already uh, quite keen on the amount of uh, resin that you put in your layup, so that you you will not be putting way too much resin, so that it flows through the hose. Yeah. All right. Okay, Lewis, before we started, we talked a little bit before we started recording, and you had a good suggestion. And that suggestion was that uh, now that we've pretty much finished these these um, lessons on fiberglassing, the series yeah. on fiberglassing, that if people start down this path and start doing their own fiberglassing and have questions, they're welcome to write me at franz1 at medsailor.com 
their questions and when we accumulate enough we I will call you on and we can ha we can have you answer the questions you you suggested that I thought that's a great idea yes yes we can do that well if if you receive a few questions we I, I can just uh, reply uh, by if you forward them to me I can reply them uh, by email so that people don't have to wait a few months <laughs> maybe yeah. yeah we may not get enough questions and not any questions yes. I get I'll forward on to you and you can respond yes, to them. I, I will I will reply to those by email and once we have a significant number of questions we can do a, a, an episode just uh, because usually if someone has a question, uh, the, the answer is usually uh, good for a few other people that may have never come across that problem, may never have thought about that problem. Uh, so usually I like to listen to other people's questions and uh, uh, listen to the answers they, they are provided. All right. Lewis, thank you so much. It's been a great ser series of, of lessons you've given us, and you've given us some great information. Let's thank keep you. in touch, and we'll, we'll do another podcast if we get some questions in, okay? All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later, Lewis. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I, um, I thought that was pretty good. I, I like this series of lessons that Lewis has done on fiberglass, and I've got a few emails from people that have liked it. Uh, as a general rule, I did get one listener that's not into this, but you know, not everybody likes the same episodes. I personally am a do-it-yourself guy, so I always like learning things about how to do things and how to learn techniques. So hopefully you enjoyed this series. Before we go, this summer I've got, if I do my Turkey to Greece to Italy to Montenegro, to Croatia, to Dubrovnik route, which is most likely the route I'm going to be taking. During that two-month period of time, I will have five different crew, no, excuse me, six different crew changes. And I'm going to probably have one of those crews be listeners of the podcast. Now, if you want to get in front of the line for that, I have one patreon reward at a hundred dollars a month uh, and the people that are on that patreon reward will at the same time get an email letting them know of the opening for that crew position and there will be probably two openings for that and it'll be a first come first serve response i don't want to play favorites but it'll be the first two people that would respond to that email that would become the crew members. Now, of course, you're responsible for your, all your travel expenses and uh, all your airfares and your <laughs> your own expenses. The boat's free. I don't charge for sailing with me on the boat. So if that's something that's of interest to you, go on to patreon.com forward slash midsailor and sign up for that. All right. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, future episodes, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. Check out the website because I'll have links to various resources for this podcast at medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.